Is it fair to say that you, as far as Bloomington is concerned, invented the internet? Oh, we're in it. Um, are we on? Is this is this thing on? Have like, we started? It, it, this we will absolutely be a part of the podcast. We can say yeah. it's going. It's starting well, right I mean, now. Welcome to the podcast. From, yeah, I just hmm? listened. I listened to some episodes and I was waiting for the intro. Well, welcome to the Cast and the Curious <laughs> podcast where we're curious about the Fast and the Furious um today i am melinda unlike all the other days and i'm joined with some special people including my co-host andrew funkhauser i'm still here how are you doing i'm great uh great. my stocks are up three percent today hmm. <laughs> i haven't i haven't checked my bitcoin in a while but it was like down two dollars oh no um and I'm gonna I'm gonna breeze right through to introducing our guest because there's so much we want to discuss with him. And uh, listeners to the podcast will know that we decided not to do the Iron Giant because Vin Diesel isn't technically in it. Um, mm-hmm. And after watching it, I can still say he isn't tech. He really isn't in it. Um, but. Uh, our guest wanted to do the Iron Giant, and you know what? I would do anything for our guest, so we went ahead and watched the Iron Giant. We're discussing it today with the tallest man in Bloomington, the inventor of the internet, as far as Bloomington is concerned, Steve Volan. How are you, Steve? Wow. I'm fine. I'm glad to be here. I'm not the tallest person in Bloomington, although I'd have been played for Bob Knight. Well, who is the tallest Pretty much everyone else on the basketball team. I'm not that tall. Well, <laughs> excluding the basketball team, of course. I'm only five foot twenty. I'm not just not. <laughs> how about the how about the tallest member of city government? That mm. I will cop to. Okay. I am the tallest member of city government. But usually back- I keep my thing seated. So <laughs> they don't make me they don't actually say I rise to speak to the occasion. We get to stay in our chairs. Well, then now let's talk about how true is it that you invented the internet in Bloomington? Okay. So technically I started the first ISB in Bloomington. Oh, wow. Late 1994. We went online January of 95 and we were the first by at least three months, but not much more than that. So I take blame for introducing the internet, inflicting the internet on people. (laughs) um although i really being not fair to myself you know like it's uh it would have come anyway i just got in first so so. without you they wouldn't have no one would have been able to upload this is indiana 10 years ago do you guys remember that yeah we do admit (laughs) melinda doesn't iu heads are gonna love that joke just let it happen. <laughs> if you could see Melinda Scal right now, uh, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm racking my brain. Is this like a viral video it's a, about bros? A viral bro Indiana yeah. hype video. It's great. That makes sense. You've heard it. Was, uh, yeah, back when Tom Crean had taken over and Christian Watford hit the three that mm-hmm. Kentucky and IU was back for the first time since Knight had been fired, and. September 2000 I was living in my apartment right off the square that day September 9th 2000 and I opened the door to my front door of my building there were five helicopters over downtown Bloomington they were all covering Bob Knight's farewell speech in Dunmetta where like 7,000 people had gathered quite a dramatic moment I'd never seen so much air power in my life you know, in Bloomington, uh, except that day. And I heard a few years ago he was signing books at Walmart in Bloomington. Well, he finally <laughs> came, made peace with. Uh, oh, he did. He made. He came back to Bloomington. They bought a house. He's probably got dementia, you know, or maybe have Alzheimer's. He's seventy-five something, but but he huh. moved back to. And just last year, they had right before before COVID, there was a, a big homecoming where he showed up and on center court at uh, assembly hall oh i do and, remember that yeah. yeah it happened so whatever and then he voted for trump mm. and i lived on the dorm floor my first year at iu yeah he came and promoted trump and i was that's when i knew i, I knew everything i needed to know about bob knight that he mm-hmm. 
you know, he's a kind of di- a dictator mm. and supported a dictator. But mm-hmm. my first year in Bloomington, I wound up living on the floor with three members of the starting lineup of the team that won the national championship. Oh, that's year. fun. And one of them was taller than me. And the other guy was shorter than me. And my mom brought me onto the dorm floor. Like I was walking onto my new dorm floor. And this guy cocks his head. He's walking down the hall, cocks his head, big grin on his face. And first thing he says to me is, how tall are you, man? And I go, I'm 6'8". I'm Steve Olin. Nice to meet you. He goes, I'm Daryl Thomas. I'm 6'7". Nice to meet you. And he was very forward for the team. You know? And we won. Like, it was an amazing year. I wrote about it in the Writer magazine in December of 19. So if you want to read about my first year in Bloomington, it was pretty momentous. That was one big part of it. Wow. That's great. Did you ever play basketball in any unofficial I capacity? In fifth grade. Fifth grade. Okay. In the Merrillville Boys Basketball League. Our team was called the Orange Shirts. <laughs> Orange Shirts. Uh, we went 0-13 for the <gasps> season. We didn't Ooh. win a single game. We lost. The second worst team was 1-12. They beat mm. us. We lost that game 8-2. to two. <laughs> I was the hot scorer for our side. I hit the only basket. (laughs) My entire history of playing basketball. Uh, I was seven years in the Maryville Little League. I had the biggest strike zone in three counties. I was God's gift to pitchers. (laughs) I would go up to bat and I would taunt the pitcher by saying, you, what did you do that God gave you this strike zone? To pitch oh, at. that's so funny. Seven years of futility. Uh, I just want to apologize for Andrew asking you if you played basketball. <laughs> I should say, no, are you a jockey? No, it was more like because... Golf? No, why should I play basketball? You brought up the basketball when we said you were the that's tallest true, person in Bloomington. To I wouldn't have brought it up. He did bring it up. Yeah, right. Melinda. <laughs> Quit trying to make us fight. It was. <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgot that we're in a fight, Andrew. Are you guys fighting now? Let's all make up. We're all friends. Yeah. Mercury's in retrograde. to do. So Mercury's yes, I'm retrograde. responsible for the internet in Bloomington, mm-hmm. and but more importantly, I got out of that uh, and thought, uh, I, what is my next business step? Nothing I can do would be as risky as the internet. So, you know, but, but I really like to find something that's less risky. And so I thought I should do retail. <laughs> oh, cool. In uh, 2001, a store called Classical Film and Music went out of business and I got a look at their books and I saw that the, the f- film rental part was pretty good. Uh, and so I started a video store called The Cinemat in 2002. I didn't know you started the Cinemat. That was me. Wow. Yes. Video rental place just off the square for most of the aughts. Closed in 2009. Uh, never made money. Never made money. Wow. But I, I had 5,000 movies in collection, and one of them was The Iron Giant. Wow. I, that's so beautiful. That was great. <laughs> A greater segue than I could ever come up with. I wanted to get there somehow. That's good. I I had a lot of movies in the store. I was very proud of our collection. Um, And uh, this was a surprise winner. Like it was a cult film already Mm -hmm. by the time we got it. And uh, I was actually in 2004, we built out the other half of the place to be a screening room. Uh, So if you go into the Bishop now. <clears throat> that wall between the their their performance room and the saloon, I put that wall up um, and uh, showed showed movies and you and also got a beer permit so you could have um, uh, an alcoholic beverage and enjoy a uh, an excellent second run film um, and we showed the Iron Giant a few times and it was well received. Um, we also had Atomic Age Cinema. I don't know if you guys heard of that. That sounds very familiar. Mm-hmm. It was our, you know, creature feature, Saturday night, midnight. Gotcha. I, 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 I didn't do it. I, some guys asked if they could do it, and I said, sure. And so, in fact, I can show you 
uh, well, this is podcast. I don't want to tempt, but, but uh, it was it was uh, uh, run by uh, Baron Mardi and Dr. Calamari, and uh, they had a, that, that's my single greatest achievement was those guys doing Atomic Age Cinema. I was very proud to host them hosting very bad horror films that they made fun of live in squid and uh new orleans uh vampire costume oh, that sounds like fun yeah they had a lot of fun so uh iron giant was yeah mainstay. i'm glad that you made us watch it because me too t- to be honest this Did is one of, this is the this is the best vin diesel movie that <laughs> i think i've seen so far oh come on i stand i stand vindicated <laughs> Um, I, I did kind of cry a little bit. It's a really, really, really good movie. I was touched. Have you guys seen Big Hero 6? I've seen part of it. I haven't gone all the way through it. Very similar character arcs. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this movie kind of started, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, this is Brad Bird's Pixar audition, Mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. I was shocked to see that it wasn't, oh, sorry. I was no, just going to say, I was shocked to see, I was like, okay, this has got to be on like Disney plus or something big. And like, mm-hmm. it's, it's not it Disney. It was independent. Right. Right. Yeah. Brad Bird used it to get hired at Pixar and then Disney bought Pixar. But uh, no, yeah, it's not a, it's not a Disney film. And I think there's some things in it that you just wouldn't see Disney do. You know, that's true. I, that was one of the first thoughts that I had within like the first five minutes was this doesn't feel like a Disney movie. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. And there's so much great stuff to say about it, but I have to say that since this is a Vin Diesel podcast, you know, this made me like Vin Diesel a lot. And (laughs) there's, they they make an issue of it. Like Vin Diesel says 53 words Mm -hmm. in this film, you know, Mm -hmm. and yet emotionally, I mean, I think I knew that Vin Diesel was the title character and that informed my appreciation of the robot. But, uh, you know, I think that he's essential to this film and I'm not joking. I agree. There's like a depth to like every single word he says. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I guess, yeah, this came out in 99, was that 99? Yeah. So, take me back to the year 1999, did you see it when it came out? Or after it became like a cult hit? Um, That's a very good question. I am pretty sure I did. You know, I collect all my movie stubs, but I I don't know where they are. (laughs) I don't know for them. Um, Because I'm just curious, you know... Obviously, I went into the movie after having seen Vin Diesel do Fast and the Furious, do Triple X, do all these other things. So, mm-hmm. I'm wondering what people thought of him in the year 1999. Was he known? Like at that That's point, I don't. I don't think, think he, anything. Had, I don't think he, he had was. only maybe done the scene in Saving Private Ryan at yeah, that point, right? Yeah, I think that's it. So I don't know that he was a, even a name at all. Um, uh, let's just say that he wasn't a big name yet because this is before Fast and the Furious. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, he had done a couple of films. And uh, actually, I learned that two of the people who were considered for that character were, get this, uh, Sean Connery and James Earl Jones. <laughs> oh, wow. Right hmm. over them. And I'm like... Wow. <sighs> Yeah. I mean, no one has a voice like Vin. No one really does. It's a really unique voice. The the best way we've been able to describe it is it's a thick voice. It's a thick <laughs> voice. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, if he went on to do I Am Groot, you know, like yeah. he's the voice of Groot, and all he ever says is I Am Groot, and there's, you know, like that doesn't sell me, Groot does not sell me like the Iron Giant does. Like there's something, yeah. that's why I said Big Hero 6 earlier. Mm. Like there's a, uh, Big Hero 6 has a much bigger vocabulary, but, and you should ask Jared about this. Jared Thompson has very strong opinions about uh, Disney and films and Disney films. Does Jared have <laughs> a strong opinion about something? That is very shocking. Yeah, never, <laughs> never guessed that. But, but I, I mean, his, his take on, his takes on 
well, like I enjoy talking with him about Big Hero Six. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but um, like they're just very similar emotional uh, experiences, you know. I haven't seen it, and I don't know why. I it's not that I have an aversion to animation. I just I don't really give it the time that I should because I know I would love it, but I just don't do it. Same thing with this, but I'm glad I finally did. Um, I also didn't know that there was going to be like a Cold War theme to it. I, I was love pretty ignorant that. about yeah. what it even was. Well, so, you know, to, not to uh, blow your minds even more, but <laughs> you know who wrote the original story? Yes. Was it Pete who? Townsend? <laughs> it was no. Ted Hughes. Ted Hughes? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Ted Hughes was... Uh, was asked, he, Ted Hughes got to read the final script and said he loved it. And he hmm. died before, before it came out. He died in 98. Um, I'm a little squicked out about Ted Hughes because, you know, like mm. he probably did beat his first wife. Yikes. And, you know. Yeah. He, I mean, anyone who's like just a poet like that is A, probably not <laughs> a cool dude I want to hang out with. B, there was the whole thing with um, him beating his wife. Um, and then, you know, she committed suicide famously, Sylvia Plath. And then right. I didn't know that he had a, another wife who then also committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Not a good so, track record. And, <laughs> and killed their four-year-old daughter. Say what? And also killed their four-year-old daughter. Oh. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not saying he, he did that because he didn't. But um, right. But meanwhile, no, this story he wrote partly to console his children after the death of Sylvia Platt. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, which I've had a lot of conversations lately about people, you know, the art versus the artist. You know, Phil mm-hmm. Spector, mm-hmm. the abuser, mm-hmm. but the wall of sound. You know, and. Uh, like we have to make peace with uh i mean vin diesel feels different it's like uh uh you know he does good work uh i don't know how to feel i don't i don't think he's a problematic dude is he i mean you guys are watching his films it's it's hard to tell i don't think so I don't think We've so We've yet to uncover anything problematic about vin diesel yeah. well but. his first couple of movies were iffy but of the time iffy oh true i shouldn't just i you're right some of his uh, early work could be viewed as problematic but not it seemed like it had good intentions if that's a good way of putting it like for progressive 90s. for its time but problematic yeah. if you look back yeah. yeah yeah but anyway so all that aside you know like it's the origin of this story uh you know is interesting shall we say mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but everything about this movie is interesting i mean cloris leachman is in this movie that's true wow jennifer aniston harry connick uh, jennifer aniston didn't cast. sound like jennifer aniston in well, the way and she famously always sounds like jennifer aniston but she was on friends still and this was one of her first non-friends gigs and it was a mm. cartoon I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I heard Jennifer Aniston's voice. I heard it. I did, but not like <laughs> it was. It was not so much Rachel Green, if that well, makes that's sense. True. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but, and, and, that, and who's that? Well, Harry Connick Jr. Is that his name? Yeah. yeah. Harry. Yeah. He was great. Dean was I a heard great that character. From a mile away. Yeah. Dean was dope in his yin yang robe. <laughs> 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 I loved it. Um, I, one of my favorite actors is M. Emmett Walsh, who I first saw in Blood Simple, uh, the Coen Brothers' first movie. And mm-hmm. he was uh, the crazy boatman who first sees the... Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Um, nice. And, and Christopher McDonald is a really good bad guy as the G-Man. He's like the perfect uh, bad guy. And and who you know who the general was, don't you? No. John Mahoney. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, this this Wait, is Melinda doesn't know. She hates Frasier. It's the dad from Frasier. The dad from Frasier. Well, he's the only part of. I like him, and I like the girl. Who's the girl? Roz. Oh, I need actor or Daphne. Daphne. Yeah, and Frasier, yeah. I don't know their names. I just know Roz. BB Newworth. I like BB Newworth. 
Oh, that's um, uh, what's her name? Lilith. Lilith. Uh, wow. Um, uh, Fraser's ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Comic. Um, but uh, <laughs> even great. the kid, uh, what's his name? Eli something. Eli Marienthal. Was it? the kid was uh, you know hit the right notes? Like it was a just a great great voice for the kid. Great cast movie, and and again, mm-hmm. like it it's even at the time I remember when this movie came out that uh, you know Vin Diesel was sort of a meathead you know like mm-hmm. not known for his range yeah and so like i think that i do remember going into the film n- not having any expectations of it mm-hmm. like it was probably going to be cheesy yeah going to be lame uh it was uh you know i mean i was unprepared for the emotional depth sure of- yeah yeah and, there was, yeah. it was emotional depth, but with there was no schmaltz. There was no, right. like even the mom and mm-hmm. Dean, they end up together, which you knew was going to happen from the first scene, but it it happens very subtly and it's not like a whole yeah. thing and there's no like music and right, right. Yeah. They're like, um, we're not going to make you go through this. Obviously, they're getting together. The score, but the the soundtrack. There's some great period tunes in the soundtrack, <laughs> and you will hardly hear them. They're mostly in the coffee shop and stuff, you know. Yeah. But like, they don't hit you over the head at all. In this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, yeah. There's and there's just like a ton of like little details in this movie that I really liked. I thought it was like like the first thing I heard that I was like, this is not what I expected to hear. Was like, you hear the mom being a server like talking shit on someone's order, which is like <laughs> so. It's like exactly what a server would do if they got that order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it felt real for a movie about a space alien <laughs> robot that eats farm equipment for uh, sustenance. I guess we should give a little rundown of the plot, because that's normally what we do, right? Sure. <laughs> I don't know, is it? Um, yeah, I think. Yeah. It, well, well, we kind of just takes, go roll through it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it takes place in a Rockwell, Maine, which doesn't exist. I was bummed to find oh. that out. You know why it was um, called Rockwell, Maine? Well, Norman Rockwell. I tried to look that up and didn't. They literally were trying really? to give it to Norman Rockwell. They, they, uh, in fact, uh, there's also tributes to Edward Hopper and other, you know, 20th century painters. Like the, I, I didn't catch it. It was all going by too fast. But definitely the Rockwell, the the town was meant to be small town America. Hmm. So. And it was. It sure was. <laughs> <laughs> a lot um, Yeah. Hmm? There's, there's a boy, and he has a single mom. She's a waitress at the town, like, diner. And that works out well because that allows him to completely run amok. Mm-hmm. And the kid's never he supervised. He sure does. <laughs> I mean, that kid, like, you know, can you imagine... A kid being allowed to run around like that today. Oh my gosh. Wouldn't happen. Um, And yeah, I mean, literally a a robot alien falls from the sky and he's he's a giant and he's made out of iron and he's called the Iron Giant and (laughs) he eats metal, which makes him a cannibal. Uh, Whoa. So, okay. something to think about. <laughs> Maybe this is a problematic movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, that's, another thing is, you expect it to be a very typical, like, okay, yeah, this space alien is, you know, the other, mm-hmm. and the townspeople are going to riot against him, and you, but it doesn't even follow that, like, very trite no you know, storyline that we've seen many times. It's there are more subtleties and nuances to that. Yeah, it's like there's like one bad guy, which I thought was interesting. Like Yeah. Kent. Um Shooter McGavin. Shooter McGavin. Kent. Like even like the military is not overtly bad. Like it's it's mainly just Kent being a moron, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Although the military's kind of bad because, like, they see the robot and they're just, like, unload on it. 
which I didn't love. That was kind of the message. You had gotten used to the robot. You were introduced to him the way the kid was. Right. You were already rooting for him, but Mm -hmm. if you're turning around and see a 50-tall metal man moving towards you, if you have a gun, you're going to shoot it. That's true. That's fair. Right. I get that a lot. And the (laughs) message... Well, yeah. Um, So... The message being you get what you give, because then we learn that the robot... Mm. Well, can I tell you a story about being a tall, imposing figure? Yeah. We can, because yeah, there are direct parallels. Iron <laughs> and I'm relating here to the Iron Giant because I'm a tall, imposing figure. So mm-hmm. I was rounding the corner of a building once. It was a brick building with a blind corner. And right as I got to the apex of the corner, there was a woman no more than five feet tall who was walking at a very brisk pace and met at the same moment and we barely mm. avoided colliding. And I will never forget the reaction that this woman had to my uh, 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 abrupt physical presence. She had the fight and flight reflex at the same time. <laughs> oh, and they no. both squeezed her body and caused her to convulse, you know, oh. like she didn't know whether to run or punch me. Oh, just, no. She just like, like that. And then she shook it off and like like a dog, and then she she went woof with her shoulders, and then she marched on. Like it all happened in a <laughs> about two seconds. But oh I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, like that was the first time I had really got a sort of an animal sense mm-hmm. <laughs> like to be much bigger than somebody. And mm-hmm. so that's why you know if you see a fifty foot iron giant, you're going to be, you know, you're going to shake. You're going to be so I would for opening fire. That's fair. Um, what else did we get? Where else were we? You were talking about uh, the plot. Oh, yeah. You lost the yeah, plot. Yeah, I mean, sure, there's there's the plot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we keep it so, loose here. We're having fun. <laughs> I just don't, I mean... You don't really oh care about boy. the plot. I, guess, I mean, it's just like, it's funny because Hogarth is like painted as a kid who likes to take care of uh, little things. And then he just sees this giant and he's like, I want to take care of it. And like, he's a really endearing little kid. There's that moment where the giant is clearly unfamiliar with the territory. He runs into a power station and the kid, there's a moment there where the kid sort of notices that like this, this being is helpless Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. inexplicably goes to try to help it. Even though, I mean, how much horror is there in the world? Uh, and here he is, a kid alone in a forest in Maine, you know. But uh, yeah, but he, but he, like, there's. I really liked that moment where he. I did too. He um, he stops and he looks and he thinks and he goes to help. It's really well handled. It is, and uh, changes the relationship between Hogarth and. I wish that he had a name. The Iron Giant doesn't have a name, does he? He doesn't. I, don't think I mean, so. it doesn't get that far. But I kind of like that too. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, Hogarth—that's enough name for two people. Love that name. Love it. Love it. Oh, there was a logic behind that too. I forget what it was. I mean, that's a reference to something, but I forget oh, what. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is it an anagram? I mean, you think? I want to say no. It's a. I want to say it's a theatrical reference, but mm. uh, oh. I have to. I'd have to. Other people can Google it too. I just. That was one thing I didn't uh, remember to, to look into. Right. And obviously the reference, Hughes is an obvious reference to Ted Hughes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and right. It changes the relationship because it was always, it was interesting to me, like the level of understanding that the giant had. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He just immediately understands English. <laughs> Not immediately, but within a day or two. Yeah. Which I thought was funny. <laughs> But I mean, he, uh, one thing that's interesting about the character is, like, he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know what he's capable of. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's learning, like, so he's childlike. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, there's all sorts of uh, questions about uh, where did this character come from that he is like this, you know? But still, right. you just, I mean, he did understand the kid enough to. Uh, to get along with him, to have a conversation with him. And that scene, sorry, go ahead, Andrew. I was going to just say, like, I think uh, 
this movie does a lot of things like kind of really on the nose, which I really like. Like it, it like showed us very clearly like that this movie was also going to be about the robot figuring out who he is by like with the little comic book scene, like mm-hmm. where the robot's like, am I Superman or am I big scary robot? And it's just like I love when movies do that. I, I don't. I don't need a ton of subtlety sometimes. I like it to just be like, "This is what we're doing this movie," and I'm like, "All right, cool. I'm on board." But to answer a question you asked earlier, Melinda, what did I think going into the film? You know, I was so not used to cartoons having this much maturity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, you know, Disney was only getting into good cartoons again with Little Mermaid, uh, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. You know, those were, uh, you know, before Little Mermaid, Disney was cheese. Like there was, it was all old stuff. <laughs> it's all Cinderella, Snow White. I mean, I grew up in, I, I, I was born in Gary. And I, mm-hmm. one thing I remember about the city of Gary was the Glen Theater. And the Glen was a G-rated theater. I saw my first movie there, Cinderella, in the early 70s. And then they became an X-rated theater and Whoa. Cinderella was still playing. And I asked my dad, why can't we go see Cinderella? <laughs> he said, because you just can't. And then it went back to a G-rated theater again for a while. <laughs> I did not understand what was going on there. But, uh, oh, dear. you know, but, but Cinderella was kind of, you know, like the old stuff was all you got to see until Little Mermaid, you know, Disney was old old school it was has been sure sure so it was a miracle just to have decent new disney cartoons um but i mean pixar toy story came out in 95 and really just kind of was unbelievably good mm-hmm. you know no one no one thought a cartoon i mean the simpsons certainly said you know but the simpsons was taking in the the taking after the flintstones but Toy Story was like a whole nother level. Well, and like mm-hmm. The Simpsons was for adults too. Whereas yeah. Toy well, Story works. The Simpsons were in the 60s. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah, it was meant to be for adults. It yeah. was a primetime evening TV show. So The Simpsons was for adults too. But I mean, you know, and there was certainly complexity, but it was, you know, humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toy Story was, you know, emotionally on another level. And then this comes along, you know, and like you just weren't. Um, in the 90s, you weren't really expecting cartoons except for Pixar. And even then, they only had only done one or two. It was still new. Just the idea of uh, computer animation was new. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so that was enough, you know, let alone that you have emotional depth. And so uh, here is a non-Pixar, non-Disney cartoon. Um, you had no reason to expect that it was going to be anything more than a trifle. Sure, that's and, fair. Uh, and that's, that's why I'm still astounded that it exists. But honestly. thanks to South Park for really pushing the boundary of animation, we now have Iron Giant. Um, <laughs> I, I remember, so Blue Marble was the name of my company, and we had a T1 line mm-hmm. uh, in 1995. And in 1997 or eight. Like, you know, that T1 line is uh, 1.5 megabits per second. I mean, nice. your calculator, yeah, that was huge <laughs> back in the day when people were dialing up with 14.4 and 28.8 modems. Uh, but I'll never forget the day that somebody said, oh, my God, you have to see this. And you could only see it, like, we could only see it in our office. It was this little cartoon, like 320 by 200, and it was Jesus versus Santa. <laughs> and, you know it was the, what we, what would become south park and mm-hmm. we could not believe how um what's the word um uh, uh transgressive mm. that cartoon was like two three minutes and they just you know it was it was we hooted and jumped up and down watching this little tiny box you know in our <laughs> office uh all my staff was uh was uh, in, in awe over that cartoon, and you know, that was South Park. So all this is happening <laughs> at the same time. Like that's that's the state of cartooning in 1999. You know? Um, that reminded me of another part in the movie, which I don't know if anyone else caught this or if anyone else researched this to figure out if this is true. 
But there's a point where Hogarth says bad robot. Yeah, I, I heard that too. Okay, and I'm assuming I didn't uh, Abrams uh, named his company. Is that is is that what happened? Because I didn't think to research it. I forgot about it. I didn't. I, I I noticed that too, and I. One can only assume. Was Abrams involved in this? Abrams got started, but maybe. But the robot, I mean, the, the robot that he has looks more like the short circuit robot. Right. It's yeah, not the same robot, but I feel like I don't know. And also, like his his like career with Disney, I feel like it's got to be affiliated. But I don't know. Either way, there's a point. I'm gonna Google it at some point. Yeah, someone, y'all go go Google. Um, <laughs> let's see, we've already talked about Bad Robot, the yin-yang bathrobe, and the fact that he's a cannibal. So we've touched on pretty much everything. I did like how uh, there was one part where Dean, it's after they're up all night drinking coffee and he's kind of over it. And he calls him, he refers to him as out of state plates. I thought that was really clever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love the, uh, the, the fact that um, the, the guy who originally wanted to develop this was Pete Townsend. Of the <sighs> yeah. This must be like a musical. <laughs> I What's think that? he made the, did he, I don't know if it ever he happened. Wanted to be but a musical. I, yeah. He wanted to be yeah. a musical. He had, re- he wrote an album for it and the album got, you know, put out and mm-hmm. there was a cartoon made of it. This is all around 1989, 1990. Uh, but um, Brad Bird, when he got the material, basically, uh, like he inherited the development work that Pete Townsend did, but he basically didn't like most of it. And he cut all the music out. <laughs> he, he, was, he was trying to get to the story. That's and, fair. And uh, yet Pete Townsend was still credited as an executive producer. Yeah, I saw that. And in fact, he said about it, well, well I mean, when he saw the movie, he said, well, whatever, I got paid. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez so i just think that's a wild uh, but i mean Pete townsend sort of had uh issues about his childhood and i, I can see why he related to the this movie um mm-hmm. like he had a difficult childhood himself but uh i mean he is materially he has some responsibility for this thing existing at all mm-hmm. I just think it's an interesting quirk as well i read too that uh brad bird's sister died from gun violence which is why this movie yeah. is so explicitly like anti-gun mm-hmm. which oh, that's is interesting. which because i think like lends it a lot of the heart the best uh, line in the movie is you know vin diesel saying yeah I'm not a gun yeah. it's so I'm good doing, i'm not it's even so doing good right. like, it's so good <laughs> like this is yeah. why he was the right guy for it and i totally get too like his voice is so like deep and thick that mm. i feel like most people they would have to put like a ton of effects on his voice but mm. i feel well, like with him it's just it. like you just hear vin diesel with a little bit of like reverb or like vibrato or something with reverb but but think about it i mean uh even when he plays groot mm-hmm. uh the the thing he the choice he made in this in his readings is he's speaking really slowly yeah. much slower mm-hmm. than normally would and that's what makes that line work so well. Like he's he's uh, playing somebody who's struggling to use words, mm-hmm. struggling mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. vocabulary, and like I mean, I just remember at that moment and just like uh, I just can't say enough good things about it. There's a struggle with vocabulary and also just a struggle with very, very large abstract concepts for Mm -hmm. not even, you know, an infantile robot, but even like adult humans to understand. Yeah. Um, The scene in the scrapyard with when he almost kills Hogarth Mm. and Dean has to like show him what he is capable of doing and almost did like Mm -hmm. broke my heart. I almost started crying it during that scene. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, I got it choked up a little bit when you just said it just now. Yeah, that was... And you know whew. what else does it is the robot's eyes. The, yeah. The, uh, the, this, this, when the, the doors close on his eyes, they also mm-hmm. turn. 
you know mm. they, they turn like they, they they become irises sometimes right and they right the garage doors sometimes and but i mean when he's curious about things the the eyes sort of turn um inwards you know mm -hmm. the, the the garage doors turn and <laughs> something about that just makes him uh he's not quite a kid he's not quite a juvenile mm -hmm. he's really his own thing and all of it just works it all just works another one of those very like completely like on the nose things like you know right when he turns because they just show it very clearly um the other thing I like about that Dean scene is that, like, I love when characters... Dean scene. Love all the mm -hmm. Dean scenes. <laughs> I love when uh, characters are, like, given a choice between, like, the fear-based choice and then, like, thinking something a little further through and, like, choosing with your heart. Whereas, like, Dean starts being like, this robot's scary, like, get away. And then, like, he takes a moment... And like figures it out and then it's like oh it's just when he's being shot at and yeah. i i really enjoy moments like that in movies yeah. also another crazy scene in this movie that i was like this is a crazy scene to be watching is hogarth explaining to the giant hmm. what death is mm -hmm. like that is a big scene that is like yeah. a huge scene to be like showing to kids and stuff too, which I, I mean, it's great. Um, but, I mean, but the whole time, like none of this is forced. None no, of it. Is, no, no. Uh, you don't feel like this is manufactured at all. Like the the emotions <clears throat> are, are genuine. Mm -hmm. I think that's one reason why I loved it so much. Um, and uh, even the robots, clearly an emotional creature, mm -hmm. you know, um, and he's realizing the horror of of what what the world's about to quote uh david bowie and freddie mercury <laughs> um and uh, he um you know like the, i think the brilliant thing about people pointing out that vin diesel has exactly 53 words that he says in the film is that uh, you know this is a great case where less is more right like if they had done more it would have made it less emotionally uh resonant you know yeah it's like i in, agree go ahead go ahead mm -hmm. i was i was gonna make a joke so if you want to say something sincere say it <laughs> i want you to make the joke but now your timing's off <laughs> i could still make it just i was gonna go say it's it. just like in uh the fast and furious movie if vin diesel would have said uh the the country that we're all in right now is called brazil that's not what he said he said this this <laughs> Brazil, and let me tell you, it lands big. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, and yeah, no, I was just gonna say that I agree with you. There's no filler, and filler is when my brain shuts off. This movie yeah. rocks. It it just goes <laughs> like it just goes from start to finish. Yeah, it's like a, you're, you're never disappointed by oh, that's a that's a false moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At yeah. the like the. I'm a huge, huge cynic to a fault. And when he said that souls never die, mm -hmm. I was like, well, that's not like scientifically fact. <laughs> but <laughs> I still appreciated it. And that scene was not, uh, it, there was no schmaltz. I liked it. Mm -hmm. Well, there, there was a, it, it, how do we define schmaltz? Because, I mean, you could actually say that there was a lot of schmaltz in this movie. Well, but let's first of all, I don't know what schmaltz, schmaltz means, but I think you know what I mean by saying schmaltz. Yeah, that I can do I think it's <laughs> like hokey. Uh, well, yeah, just like yeah, overly like saccharine or cheesy or yeah. mm -hmm. inauthentic. It's, it's excessive sentimentality. Yeah, yeah, sure. And it's not yeah. not excessive. You're right. There's no yeah. schmaltz. Uh, uh, but uh, then the you know his last line. You know. <gasps> He, he, oh, the he, last line. Well, the oh. last scene, first of all, he, um, one thing that I really loved was the nuclear bomb mm -hmm. is going mm -hmm. up and up and up and up and up. And it's way up there. Like, you know, there's time. It doesn't feel like, I mean, why did the nuclear bomb come straight at the town? 
You know, why did they go way up like that? Right, right. And, and yet I didn't feel that that was false either. And it's upward progress. Uh, like everyone sees it. Everyone knows what's happening. It's sort of the only comparable moment to that is Toy Story 3 when the... Yeah. The creatures, are, the the toys are all in the junk heap ready to... They're all they're like sliding down their, the... Their fate, mm-hmm. yeah, like there's no rescue, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, there is a rescue. <laughs> Spoiler alert. The claws, my man. But um, uh, that, the bomb going up, like, I, I remember noticing that moment. Like, it was, it was almost like suspended animation if you forgive yeah kind of hogarth and the giant are kind of reckoning with death in that Mm -hmm. moment you know and the giant realizes that uh he is not uh a passive object he early in the movie he says i am not a gun Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. like he knows that he is a gun but that the gun can be used for good sure he makes the decision in the moment and you and he gets time to do it you know like the bomb is up there long enough to to make you realize this is no ordinary bomb this is the end of everything right you know i don't know there's just something about it that that helped him it was it gave him the time and space to make the decision well he does yeah he has the emotional moment with Hogarth and he steps back and he just does like, there's no excessive vocabulary. Now that's not Vin Diesel's. Right. <laughs> uh, but, but Vin does say the final line, which is, he doesn't even say it. I am. He just says Superman. Right. Mm-hmm. Superman. Which I just remembered. That's not the ending. Is it? It's not the ending. It goes a little past that. That's so crazy. Yeah, because it's so. It was such an iconic moment that I was thinking that was the end, but it's not. Well, that's another beauty of this movie is that mm-hmm. it, if if they had ended it there, you would have been fine with it. Yes. Sure. Yeah. But the ending that they did have is even better, I think. Well, it certainly Obviously. opens up to a sequel. Well, even beyond like. Yeah. How, I, that's I hate that, but like, it just I, it, there's. There's, there would have been hope in the initial ending of just him just saying Superman, but there's even more hope in the real ending where, like, his little homing device starts going off. Right, but wait a minute. I mean, uh, you know, like, don't you feel a little bit uh, emotionally jerked around because he didn't actually die? I was a no. little... I always get a little bummed by, like... Maybe there's a sequel moment, which I this felt like that have was maybe there's a sequel it, it, energy. It didn't. I, I don't think it really right. did, but I, uh, I think I'm so desensitized to, the, to that now that it, that's the thing. That I was like, yeah. that's that. But well, I, yeah, think, but I agree with you. Twenty years ago, uh, well, you know, I'm fighting with you, Andrew. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry, Steve. <laughs> when just trying to start shit. I am. <sighs> I've been trying to fight Andrew all day. <laughs> It's a lot of love on the cast and the curious. We'll be back after this message. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, but, Uh, uh, you know, like, that's what's, again, was so wonderful about it. It, It's, it, it didn't hit you over the head at all. And Warner Brothers did not know what to do with it. They did not know. Yeah. That, that was, that's, this movie was way ahead of its time. And Warner Brothers dropped the ball. Like, they did not. They pulled it quickly. It, it mm-hmm. got a cult following, and, you mm-hmm. know, but it certainly was a good calling card for Brad Bird. But mm-hmm. uh, that's the, you know, like if Warner Brothers had known what to do with it, they would have, you know, arranged for toys. They would have there. But that's the thing, because there was no they didn't know what to do with it. They didn't do anything with it. And so there was no advance noted. That's how I first experienced Star Wars. I was uh, my parent. My family was on vacation in Hawaii in summer 1977 and we were oblivious to television during you know at the time and after a while we were bored and my dad and brother said hey let's go see this science fiction movie what's it called star wars you know and the lines were around the block for it. we had no idea so like what a what a joy it is to discover something that you weren't hyped up to be excited about oh and yeah be a jewel you know 
that's what I love about this movie. Absolutely. Hmm. Hmm. That's kind of how we felt about the Fast and the Furious in general. Like, there was hype, but we were like, ah, we, it's probably going to be whatever. And then we ended up really liking it. So if there's that's a reason, I've never seen them. I have Absolute reason to watch every single one of them. Except for maybe two. It always Melinda seems would, Melinda would fight me on that. <laughs> is it not cheesy? Is it not formulaic? Uh, it's, it is formulaic. It's a Don't. bit cheesy. There yeah. is some formulaic stuff going on, but and it's yet? like, it's, it, it is in the pocket. It is oh. like, and then, and then it like also at four or five, it goes from like a place that you think it's really honed in and it's just like, fuck all that. And it goes crazy. It just like <laughs> complete, they just turn into like superheroes and it's well, maybe I should incredible. Wait to the rest of the podcast episodes until after I've enjoyed them myself. Yeah, you should. Yeah. It's a good companion piece. Mm-hmm. You go one by one movie podcast, movie podcast. I mean, I, I had a lot of movies in my store, but these were not a priority. Let's just put it <laughs> That's fair. And I suppose, I, think, I mean, that was the, the province of the local blockbuster, the family video down the street, you know. Well, and I think so, also, like, there was a time where it, like, wasn't, it was so mainstream where you would just assume you wouldn't like it. At least that's yeah, where that's I was at for exactly a long time. Yeah. yeah. Exactly where I was. Yeah. I so think it's having a resurgence. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. What's that? She thinks uh, it's having a resurgence. Movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's becoming what? cool online again. I can see it slowly <laughs> happening. Probably our podcast. Probably not the other uh, Vin Diesel podcast. Not, not saying it's not. Uh, aren't, the, aren't the settings, costumes, characters timeless? Or Oh, actually, here's a question for you from the guy who brought the internet to your hometown. Um, <laughs> how, like the first Fast and the Furious movie was what, 2000, 2001? 2000, yeah, 2001. Yeah, 2001. So... Yeah. Like since then, we've got smartphones, internet. Does that make its way into the movies? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Technology is Absolutely. big in the movies. But I mean, that like the technology of cars in two thousand and one. Like, are there electric cars in the movies now? Um, I'm sure there will be in there Fast been Nine. Yet. Yeah, but not in not in the most recent one was Fast Eight, which came out in two thousand. What maybe. 18 probably 17 maybe at the earliest something like that yeah so yeah no electric cars but i'm sure there'll be a feature of fast nine so so as the um purveyors of this you know or as people who have reviewed this whole series does it hold up to other franchises it's like, the greatest franchise it's ever made. It's it's a really good franchise. Are you contractually obligated to say that because of the name of the podcast? Or Maybe. I'm making a lot of money off of this, and I don't want to jeopardize that. Uh, it is like, it, it went from I mean, me, like, kind of, I was more excited to talk to Melinda than to watch the movies, and then it was like both were equally and then, like, eventually the movies, you're just like, yes, 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 yes. Like, you, like, it's <laughs> like yeah. a Now the, the, the movies get you off more than talking to Melinda does. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think it goes both ways on that end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, I, yeah, I don't say, know that I like any franchises, but if the Iron Giant was a franchise, is there a sequel? There was no, no sequel. No sequel. And I'm, I'm thank okay. God. Yeah. 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 It's, it's fine. It's a jewel. Yes, it certainly Same is. Same thing about. I, I also wrote. I just wrote a, a cover story for the writer about the Queen's Gambit, which uh, it's oh, a great show. Great show. But, it, but it, it, its story is done. Like there's no second season, because they did the whole book and, you know, and it, it really should leave it as it is. It's. That's good to hear. Now, is it true? Warm. Is it true that, um, as far as Bloomington is concerned, you invented chess? <laughs> uh, that's not true in the slightest. <laughs> no. Oh, I thought I, I read that somewhere. I have, uh, I, I have, created activities for. Uh, I, I have hosted my share <laughs> of uh, chess <laughs> exhibitions. Oh yes, wow! Including a human chess set in the courtyard at Collins 
in the mid 1990s. That sounds about right. Yeah. So I've done my share. Hmm. You challenge me. You think you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna uh, catch me. Got <laughs> an answer for your sister. Nice try. I know. Though. I know better than to play mind games with with the chess master. Um, <laughs> right. Well, mate. Can I, I tell suppose, you guys a scene? Yeah. Don't wrap it up. I got. I want to talk about okay. a scene. <laughs> okay. The I'm boat. just kidding. Uh, this is kind of a joke, but I a thing that I wrote down a scene that was missing. It was like, uh, Kent never gets a comeuppance, which really bothers me. Like Who Kent, Kent, the bad guy. I called him Shooter McGavin the Shooter whole time. McGavin. I can't think of. He, that's all he is to me. Like I was so. Uh, I was so mad that I wrote like the robot blows up the nuke and then we cut to the general putting a bullet in Kent's head. Like, like, <laughs> like, like it just he blows up the nuke and then we never see Kent again. The man who ripped, who launched an unauthorized nuclear weapon. We're just like, okay, bye. I wanted to see him suffer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like of of, of in the pantheon of movie villains. Uh, he he's doesn't get angry and him up as he deserves. No, and he's bad he too. He launched a nuclear bomb. He launched a nuclear he bomb. Launched a nuclear bomb. But I mean, uh, on the other hand, uh, it's 1957. That's true. Like, there's kind of that irrational fear, and nuclear bombs were still. I mean, you saw the duck and cover parody mm-hmm. in the film. Yeah, uh, that was a thing. That was legit. They yeah. were legit afraid. I mean, you know. Holy crap! We—it's—it's it's so easy to sort of dismiss it, but when that's all you know, now the movie just sort of Christopher McDonald is a great casting. Mm-hmm. For oh, so good! You know? Like he—he's good at that kind of uh, oily villain, you know. Mm-hmm. He's sort of uh, uh, the oily, um, uh, puffy chest villain. Like he—he's he's egotistical. He wants, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And, and and kind of venial. He's just driven by ego. It feels like. Yeah, yeah, and whatever he can get for himself, you know. Mm-hmm. So like he's really small, and they did a good job of that. And and like what would it have, what good would it have done to torture him or punish him? Like he was. It would have made me feel good. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I, you're right. He wasn't. I will say <laughs> the. I, I knew when they first mentioned, like, we got to rent a room. And then when they showed the sign in the house, yeah. room for rent, I was like, oh, they're going to rent the room probably to that guy. But even still, the, like, morning breakfast reveal, really I was, a part of me was like, wait, no, please tell me he didn't <laughs> fuck the mom. Oh. <laughs> and I was uh. so glad that he didn't. But ooh, that took me out for uh. a minute. <laughs> I, 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 I. I, I, you're right. I had that feeling too. Oh man, because uh, he has that like I just fucked your mom. He kind does. Of he does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, on cool. that note, <laughs> am I allowed to wrap it up now, Andrew? Yeah. Well, I'll say one more thing. Uh, okay. Just piggybacking on, like Steve talking about the atomic bomb. It's a really fun thought exercise to think about the atomic bomb when it came out. Because, like, it came out when they blew up a city in Japan. And then they were just like, hey, we can blow up cities now, and we're pretty sure everyone kind of can. Have fun. Like, like <laughs> imagine, like, the mindset any normal person would have. Like, it's, it's wild that everything was held together as uh, well as it was during that time. I mean, I remember in the 70s still having to sit through film strips and the 50s that, you know, were trying to uh, influence you socially. And all I remember was, uh, oh, good, we don't have to pay attention. You know, we can sit in the dark and watch something and it doesn't have to be, you know, like, but it was kind of a holdover from those really uptight days of the 50s. And Mm -hmm. yet, you know, and I, but I was also singing patriotic songs. At the beginning of school, they were making us sing 
over hill, over dale, we will hit the dusty trail as the caissons go rolling along. Like instead of the first Spangled Banner, you'd sing that wow. at the beginning of the day in elementary school. Like we were still doing that in the 70s. And so like this isn't, it, it, it wasn't very far. You, we didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Didn't know any better. Like I can't believe I'm having this much emotional uh, reveal. Like, you know, <laughs> Uh, but I am like it's 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 kind of amazing. Also, last thing for me, the the coda, he gets a little box. There's one little piece left. Yeah, he's reassembling himself. Well, I mean, think about the technology. Of, like only today we're thinking like the Internet of Things. The, the robot was a kind of a Internet of Things. You know, mega mega. Um, uh, What's a uh, what's a um, what's the thing? Are you, you going to cut this out in post? Edit this in post. <laughs> okay. Um, what's the phrase I'm thinking of? Uh, charismatic megafauna. You know, like it was. Uh, yeah, charismatic uh, megafauna. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. Like, like uh, that that scene anticipated the Internet of Things, like where everything is online. Everything is connected, uh, and he, he can reassemble himself. I see what you're saying. I just yeah. thought that was a nice touch. Another thing that ha- helps it hold up, you know. I also like the way he got all super, super fly when he got uh, the the giant became uh, a high tech. He got he got higher tech. Yeah, he yeah. did. You know? Like why? Why? <laughs> you know, why was he high tech like that in the first place? I but, loved that they never really explained it. And also made yeah. it really cool. Like those weapons were so cool. Yeah. Like that little spinny thing where he's yeah. like, tee, 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 and just like yeah. blasting all those cars. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And, and he was hardly aware that he had all those things in him. Yeah. That's there is I something feel- very uh, timeless about the tech and just the movie itself. It doesn't feel like I knew it was in the fifties, but it didn't feel like oh, this is. This is the fifties, like everyone's yeah. in a, a, a greaser and in a poodle skirt or something. It's it's very very timeless. I loved it. It was and it just holds up. It holds up twenty years later. Absolutely. It really does. Yeah. I'm to show it to my my niece and nephew. Yeah. Um, I'll show it to my cat. Um, thanks for thanks for having me on yeah. the show, cat lady. Thank you for joining us, Steve. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. But we, I, I had a blast. I think we're good for now. We can, have, we can we can have Andrew talk with us too, but you know, we're gonna <laughs> I don't have to be here. Talk. Oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know if you have any plugs. Um, the writer, the city council well, meeting. I want to plug my piece in the December 2020 issue of the Rider Magazine. Yes, the, the a full cover story about uh, the Queen's Gambit. Mm-hmm. Um, in it, I describe um, what kind of what chess they got wrong, um, what um, they should have done with the character of Jolene, uh, who was unfortunately the magical Negro trope. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I also talk about um, uh, Beth's hair as its own character. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm. I'm very. Uh, very pleased with that. You should read that in the writer, and um, I may do another piece with them soon. <laughs> Can I ask two Levity. quick questions? What's that? Can yeah. I ask two quick questions? Uh, Steve, oh, rapid fire round. Rapid fire. Will you come back if you watch the Fast and Furious franchise, and just unload everything you think about it with us? Um, well, first I have to ask, do you want me to listen to the rest of your podcast episodes first? Um, or do you not want me to hear what you said? Dealer's choice. Okay, because I, I feel I, like it will work the latter. So, like, if I watch the franchise, then I'll come back not having listened to your podcast. And I'd say, did you guys talk about this? Did you talk about this? Yeah, about I feel like that'd be fun. Because <laughs> even if we have talked about it, we'll probably just want to talk about I, it again. I would do that. Okay. Yes. And then... Okay question two any any stocks i should be buying i need a stock uh, recommendation I need a hot stock tip uh well apple's doing great but Enphase 
Check End? out a company called N Phase. Okay. Where if it's not already too late. Does it start with an N? E N. E N. H. Got it. The stock symbol N Phase. I like them a lot. I love it. I I got into stocks this week. I I got in on the game stock for. Uh, oh. Craze, I know. I'm an I'm a moron. It's hard to beat the Nasdaq right now. I mean, is tech going to have another bubble? Maybe, but probably not. I mean, it's just they're growing by. I don't know. It's hard to know. tell, but I'm going to try to ride the wave. Famous last word. <laughs> uh, all right, Melinda. I had no further questions. <laughs> all right. Well, that Am I has free to been. Go? Are you detaining me? Am I free to go? <laughs> Are you detaining me? You're still detained She's for like boss. 30 seconds, okay? Um, that has been Iron Giant or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Thank you for joining us, Steve Volan. And come back okay. next week or in two weeks, Clutchheads. We are cooking up something special for mm-hmm. you. We sure and we are. Will see you next, next Tuesday. Bye. 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 Thanks again. <laughs>